Good morning, church family. I've got to add my voice to everyone else's. It is good to be here. It is good to see each of you. And wasn't it nice of the Lord to give us the hottest day of the summer on our first Sunday back? It's all cooler from here. No, that's not really a promise. You might have noticed that we skipped an offering. We normally give offerings uh, before in a, during a song of preparation before the sermon. And um, for, our, for giving our offerings to the Lord, we're going to con- do two things. We're going to continue giving the way we gave during COVID, which for many of us was either giving electronically or um, mailing a check to the church. But we also have uh, got a, if you look in the narthex on the, the little table underneath the, the middle window, there's a little black box, it's locked, it's attached to the thing underneath it, and that's a place where if we want to give a physical gift, uh, we could do that before or after worship service or any, really any time. But that's how we'll give our gifts to the Lord. So um, one of the things that <clears throat> Pastor Gina and I have just delighted in as we've ministered together over the last seven and a half years is God's sense of timing. And we've, we've recognized that as we pray and we follow his guidance, we can't script how he's going to work and move and act, but we can prepare, we can pray, and we can follow as he leads. And he just has this way of timing things perfectly. And I think he's done that for us again this morning. He's regathered us on the morning in which the message is the Great Commission. He's brought us back together around what is central to being his followers, his body, the light of the world. And so he's going to speak to us through Gospel Tool, Thought Unit 23. And then I'm going to read not one great commission, but I'm going to read all four of them. I've chosen the the section that's got kind of the guts of Jesus' commands to each of us. And we're going to look at how do these layer together or like what if you put them all together, what is the core of what Jesus is saying to the church? So thought unit, uh, I'm not going to invite you to turn to your Bibles because I'm just going to move from one to the other of the four of them. So I'll just invite you to listen. I'll read the thought unit first and then the Great Commission from each gospel. Jesus is Lord Having received all authority in heaven and on earth, Jesus fully restores our identity and purpose. As the Father sent him, Jesus commissions his followers to spread the good news of God's reign and make disciples of all people. Jesus promises his continual presence as we embody in our own lives, and proclaim and advance his kingdom in the power of the Holy Spirit. So here are Jesus' words to his disciples from John 20. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and he said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. And if you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. That's him delegating authority. Mark 16. Jesus said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe 
will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will drive out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up snakes with their hands. And when they drink deadly poison, it will not hurt them at all. That's his way again of saying we have authority over dark powers or demonic powers. And then he says they will place their hands on sick people and they will get well. From Luke 24, he told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city, that's Jerusalem, until you've been clothed with power from on high. Matthew 28. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. The word of the Lord. Mm -hmm. Anne, where's Anne? Uh, Anne and I have reached that glorious stage of parenting where our children no longer need babysitters and in fact they're starting to babysit themselves. Thank you Sternbergs and Blakes. And what that means for us is that for the first time in 14 years we can now leave our children home as we go out. 14 years. Can you imagine? Yeah, Nate said clap, clap, clap. They're a little bit ahead of us. So over the past year, this is what this is what's happened to us. We've experimented with leaving our kids home. You know, sometimes for a, a short twenty-minute walk around the block, and and other times for a whole evening, a whole evening. And um, on a number of occasions before we've left, I found it necessary to give some instructions about what needs to be done or not done while we're away. And I found this, this giving of instructions actually to be a little bit of a vulnerable process, in part because these, this isn't just uh, don't fight with each other, don't light any fires, and don't turn the house uh, upside down while we're away kind of instructions, like you know the things that they know anyways. But rather, these are, these are like sometimes careful step-by-step of things that need to be accomplished while we're away, things that have impact for us and for the family, things that are important. And then after giving the instructions, we leave. So we go away and we entrust these tasks and responsibility to our children. Children who may choose to obey, may choose to disobey, or may forget. May forget. So that feels a little vulnerable. And I, I just imagine that Jesus must have felt a similar and yet a much stronger vulnerability as he gives these instructions to his disciples because he's giving instructions that hold life and death, eternal life and eternal death consequences 
And he's entrusting to these disciples that for which he'd sacrificed his own life. So think about this with me. Jesus' love for broken and for rebellious human beings is so deep that he, through whom everything we can see, was made. He humbled himself. He gave up his glory. He entered into this creation and he became human and he allowed himself to experience all of the disgrace and the humiliation of being unrecognized, unwelcome, accused, blasphemed, rejected, taunted, tortured, dying. All, all of that, God, all of that God did so that he could restore relationship, so that he could restore purpose, so that he could bring us home to God the Father. When you really set your heart to meditating on who Jesus is and what he's done, you just end up in this place where you go, your love is so deep, I can't comprehend it. And that's what Paul says. He says, you can't fathom it. You can't measure his love. You can't understand it. You can't put boundaries on it. He loves us with such a strong, pure, holy, passionate, deep love that not even death can overcome it. His love is so strong that He's overcome the grave. He's overcome the power of sin. He's overcome it all. And Jesus, through that overcoming, He's won this inheritance. He has an inheritance that He wants to give to each one of us who would come to Him in faith, who would follow him. And Paul says to Timothy, he wants all people to be saved. This is his heart. He wants all of them to come to a knowledge of the truth. That's his desire. That's his heart. And so this week I've been feeling, Jesus, what an incredible burden you bear to have this kind of love for the world. You're the redeemer of the world. You long to bring your redemption to the world. And yet as we read this morning, Here you are, leaving the world. No longer going to be in the world. And you're entrusting this task of evangelizing to a little band of disciples? To a small group of human beings who who can obey or disobey or forget? Vulnerable And so Jesus makes those instructions that he gives very, very clear. He leaves nothing to guess when he says to his disciples, this is what you are to do. This is what you are commissioned for. He says four things to them and to us very clearly through this passage. The first thing he says is go. Go. I'm sending you. As the Father sent me, I'm sending you. Now, friends, all of Scripture is inspired by God. It's all holy. It's all infallible. But there are some passages that stand up above others and function kind of like a lens that we look through that brings the rest of Scripture into focus. This is one of them. This little set of words. As the Father sent me, I'm sending you. And the word there that's so key is as, like, in the same way that the Father sent me, I'm sending you. So we got to say to ourselves, well, how is that? How did the Father send Jesus? He sent him out of an overflow of love. 
he looked on this world and he said, I don't want to destroy it. I don't want to start over. I don't want to eternally punish. I don't want to be separate. I love them. I'm sending you to go after them in my love. Out of an overflow of love. Out of a mission to redeem and to heal and to bind up and to restore. He sent Jesus in humility. Small. Human. And in absolute dependence on the Holy Spirit. He gave up attributes of his godness. And he lived in dependence on the Spirit. He sent Jesus to proclaim, now is the time of God's favor. Now is not a day of judgment. That's in the future. Now, I'm telling you, grace, come home. He sent Jesus to call for repentance. To speak clearly, you need to turn back to God. He sent Jesus to announce the presence, the present and coming kingdom of God that was here in him. And he sent Jesus with power to back up his words. How did he send him? That's how he sent him. So go, Jesus says, go, go like the Father sent me. Number one, go. Number two, he says, go empowered. Before you do anything else, Jesus says, Wait to be baptized by the Holy Spirit. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will then be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and to the ends of the earth. Friends, it is a glorious thing to see your crucified and dead and buried Messiah alive and standing right in front of you. You cannot imagine anything more glorious than seeing your your dead Lord and Messiah alive. But it's an entirely different thing now to get up in front of the group of people that killed him and to say to that group of powerful religious leaders, um, you, you, uh, you killed the Messiah. You killed the one God sent. That takes courage. That takes boldness. That takes clarity. That takes empowering. And so Jesus says, go, but wait for the empowering. Go empowered. Go empowered by the Spirit. And third, he says to them, proclaim. Speak. Speak. Tell the good news. Tell people this. Jesus is Lord, and in Him there is forgiveness and there is new eternal life. That's the gospel right there. Jesus is Lord, in Him there is forgiveness, there is new and eternal life. How do we access that? By repentance and faith. Turn away from sin, turn away from a life of dead works and trying to please God with your own religiosity and turn to Jesus Christ with repentance and faith and you will receive that. It's that simple. And then Jesus tells them, so go, go empowered, proclaim, tell, speak. Jesus, then he says to them, it's kind of, he says, this is what's going to happen when you do that. Know that your message will produce a dividing result. Know that some people will hear your message and they will not believe and they will be condemned. And know that other people will hear your message and they will believe and they will be saved. 
He's not saying that's his desire, that some don't believe. He's saying it will happen. And he's doing that for two reasons. He wants them to know you are not responsible for how people respond. You are responsible to speak. You're my witnesses. You've got to speak. You have to tell. But he's also doing it because he loves them and he wants to prepare them for inevitable rejection and resistance. He's a good Lord. And so he's preparing. So go, go empowered, proclaim, this will happen. And then fourth, he says, disciple, make disciples. He says, when, they, when they're saved, when they come to faith, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and then teach them to obey all that I've commanded you. That's making disciples. Baptize them and teach them. And we might say, well, that's really simple. That's kind of like second nature. You know, we've, we, we hear this and um, we're, we're really familiar with it. But I want to say to you that I think this was incredibly helpful uh, of thing for Jesus to have done and for his disciples to be aware of on the day of Pentecost because they had no idea what was going to happen when they stood up. You know, Jesus had told them, you're going to face rejection, you're going to get kicked out of synagogues, they're going to abuse you, they're going to kill some of you. He had warned them, and they had no idea when they stood up on that day of Pentecost if that was the day. They were just being obedient. There was no way for them to know that when Peter preached that day, 3,000 people were coming into the kingdom of God. And so what do you do? All of a sudden, I mean, you were 12 and you were 120 in the upper room. You're a close-knit community. All of a sudden, you've got 3,000 people that have just said yes to Jesus. Now what? Oh, yeah, Jesus told us. Baptize them. Teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. So go. Go empowered. Proclaim. Baptize and teach. Very simple, very clear commands that, again, I want to say, must have felt somewhat vulnerable for Jesus to give as he's leaving. Because so much depends on their and our obedience. Because, friends, what happens if they don't go and if we don't go? What happens if we don't tell? What happens if we visit the same hair and nail salon month after month and we see the same signs of emptiness and loneliness and life apart from God in our stylist and we don't speak of Jesus? What happens if we come to view our grocery store clerks and our gas station attendants as service people but we ignore their deeper needs. What happens if we sit in class with people who are confused and depressed and we never speak to them about the Lord who brings light and truth and who replaces despair with gladness and praise? What happens when we work alongside men and women who are gruff and sour and foul-mouthed and we never venture to speak to them about the change that will take place as they repent And as they entrust their lives to Jesus. What happens when we work with people who speak for justice. But never speak about or consider righteousness. And we don't say to them, both of these are foundational to God's throne. 
to his kingdom. And both of these come through the cross of Jesus Christ. What happens when we look at people who are unkempt and unclean and we write them off as irresponsible? And we don't introduce them to the one who's taken responsibility for our sins and theirs. What happens when we share a street with unbelieving neighbors for years and we never go, we don't go as far as to tell those neighbors, Jesus is Lord. He's Lord. You know, Leslie Newbegin used to say, the gospel is public truth. It is public truth. The announcement of the gospel that Jesus is Lord, it's public truth. And what he means by that is that it's public truth, not private religion, that Jesus is Lord of the world. But it becomes private or it becomes withheld from the public and even from our neighbors if we don't tell them. If we don't tell, who will? Who will speak? We're the ambassadors. We are the ones who have been commissioned. We are the ones who have been said, told by Jesus, go! Go in the power of the Spirit and proclaim and make disciples. And so church family... We need to be honest with ourselves about our level of obedience and faithfulness to Jesus' commission. We need to ask hard questions of ourselves. We need to ask, what happens if I rationalize to myself that my style of evangelism, of going and telling, will be to live such an attractive life that surely my neighbors will notice something different and ask me about it? What happens if all my gospel sharing comes as a result of waiting to be asked? Let me ask you this. How often have you been asked? How many people have come to faith through you, through me, Because they asked us to share our source of joy or hope or peace. And we did. And we shared the gospel. And we called for repentance and faith. And they did. We need to sit with this. It's not other people. It's us. What happens if all of our gospel sharing comes in situations that don't feel awkward? That don't require boldness or stretches of faith? That don't take us beyond our comfort and our shyness and our sense of propriety? What happens is disobedience to Jesus. What happens is quenching the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of Him who loves the world so deeply that He gave His life for it. 
The spirit of him who longs to gather in and to bring home lost children. The spirit who's longing to bring this good news to all people. We quench him if we don't release good news. If we don't go to the places of our lives, in the workplaces, in the schools, and tell clearly and straightforwardly in the power of the Spirit. We quench Him if we don't do that. Friends, Jesus has chosen to work primarily in the world through our cooperation, through our obedience. And so if we don't go in the empowering of the Spirit and proclaim Jesus as Lord, and that forgiveness and new life are available through repentance and faith, then people won't hear. And if they don't hear, they can't believe. And if they don't believe, we aren't baptizing them and teaching them. So I want to say to you, the reason that Gold Avenue Church, most of us, almost all of us, are in discipleship groups right now, it's not first and foremost for our own personal growth. We know the gospel. We know the story. We know the Lord. But we don't know how to disciple. Because we weren't discipled. We know how to be a church family. I'm not trying to beat us up. I'm just trying to state reality. We grow when we come to, to, when we're honest about reality. So we know how to be a church family together, but we don't individually know well how to disciple. And so, what are we doing with discipleship groups? We're preparing to disciple. We're taking the essential elements of Christian disciple making, which are prayer, Bible study, obedience to God, the presence and activity of the Holy Spirit in community. Those five things are essential. We're taking them and we're weaving them around this gospel tool which tells the story, the gospel of the kingdom from start to finish so that we can nurture people in the story and in the Lord. And we're putting those things together so that we can be prepared to disciple. So that each of us is prepared to disciple somebody else who is new to the faith. Who doesn't know the story. Who doesn't know the Lord. We're doing this so that we can be better equipped to be obedient to Jesus' clear commission, or dare I say command, to make disciples. But we're also doing this right now because we believe that the Lord is speaking this as a now word to us as his church, much the same way that he spoke a now word to us in March from Haggai. You might remember the Sunday before COVID hit, we shared the Lord had been speaking to us about the book of Haggai for a number of months. It just had been on our hearts. And and finally, the Lord said, "Okay, now is the time to preach. And we preached this Sunday. We preached on the message that said, once more, I will again shake the heavens and the earth. That week, COVID hit and the earth started to shake under its wave. Well, the text doesn't end there. The text, that's only the first half of the sentence. The whole thing reads, I will once again shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. I'll shake all nations and the desired of all nations will come. Jesus, the desired of all nations, will return or will come. You remember when we were going through Matthew 24 last year and we were looking at the signs of the times in the fall, we heard Hebrews 12, the New Testament writers, quote that passage. They say to us, this is about his second coming. Jesus, the desired of all nations, will come. And so church, I believe this word, go, 
go in the power of the Spirit and tell is a now word because I believe Jesus is coming soon. Now, I'm, that, I'm not making predictions about days and hours. The Bible says stay away from that. We know that that's foolishness. But the Bible also says you will know the season. We heard that last fall. You will know. And we can tell that wickedness is increasing, that the love of many is growing cold, and that the gospel is reaching the nations. And so what if it were the case that Jesus were going to return in tw- within 20 years? For those of us who hope to live this long, I want to ask, how does it affect the course of your life to know that the end of this age could come in several decades? You don't know that with certainty. You don't know that. I don't know that. But the time is drawing near. How does knowing that impact us? How does it affect us to know that we will stand before the Lord and He will review our opportunities that we had to speak of Him and to share eternal life with others? Daniel 12.3 says, and it's speaking of the end of the age, it says, those who lead many to righteousness will shine like the stars in the universe. They will be so bright. And it says they'll shine forever and ever. There'll be a brightness and a radiance to us as we give ourselves over to God's purposes of renewing and restoring by turning people to righteousness. So this is not just, I will use my spiritual gifts, whatever God's given me to serve. We're all called to do that. This is, I'm turning people from death to life. I'm turning them from unrighteousness to righteousness. I am a vessel of the Lord speaking to people. I'm helping to move them to righteousness, to repentance and faith. So friends, part of the reason I believe this is a now word is because Jesus' return draws near. But another part, and this is joyful, is because during the last several months of our weekly noon prayer meeting, God has been consistently impressing on our hearts this little message. I'm going to do a new thing as you regather. He keeps bringing up scriptures and images about doing a new thing. And he's not giving us an indication of what that new thing is. Just watch. I'm going to do a new thing as you regather. So we don't know, but we wonder, Lord, are you going to bring the revival that we've been praying consistently for six years for? Are you going to do that? And there's this sense that the Lord will bring that revival, that that is a word from the Lord. But church, when the Lord gives words, when he gives prophecy, they're not promises of things he'll do irregardless of our reaction. Prophecy is almost always invitation to cooperation. And so we believe the Lord's invitation this morning and in the months to come, as we've regathered, is to share in the joy of revival as we commit afresh to fully obeying His great commission. To share in the joy of revival as we commit afresh to fully obeying 
his great commission. Let me close with this encouragement. There are measures of joy, of the Lord's joy, that are only available to us as we obey in deeper measure. There are measures of his joy awaiting us that we can only experience through deeper obedience to his commands. There's a measure of joy that can only be released from him who is anointed with the oil of joy, who is joy incarnate. There's a measure of joy that can only be released from him to us as we share in his work of turning people toward righteousness and of discipling them. And so I'll close with this. As we prepare to call people to repentance, to faith, to obedience, I believe that we first need to allow the Holy Spirit to deal with us on the issue of whether we're personally obeying Jesus' clear instructions. Go in the power of the Spirit, proclaim and disciple. And so I'm going to call um, the worship team to come forward. And in a few minutes, we're going to worship the Lord with the lyrics of the song, Even So Come, which say, Call back the sinner. Wake up the saint. Let every nation shout of your fame. Jesus is coming soon. Like a bride waiting for her groom, we'll be a church ready for you. Every heart longing for our King. And as the worship team um, begins to play this song quietly, I'm going to invite us to respond to this word quietly. Respond to the Lord however you feel led. And to say to the Lord, I will obey you. And so I'm just going to lead us into that and then I'll leave space for silence. Lord, we, um, in our human frailty, we, re, we remember Moses, who you said, go to Egypt. And he said, Lord, I can't. I can't speak. I'm too afraid. I'm, I've got stuttering speech. And you didn't appreciate that response at all. Because his inadequacy diminished your glory and goodness, your ability to give what he needed to be faithful to your command. And so, Lord, we... We acknowledge afresh that you have everything that it needs for us to be faithful to your command. And Lord, we want to be faithful. And we express that to you now. Lord, hear our prayers. I think we all have heard God's clear call and his commission. And as we've been sitting here, maybe some of you, like I have been, confessing. Lord, sometimes I'm faithful and sometimes I miss it. And Lord, I want to be more bold. I want to be less selfish with my time. I want to love people better and more. And I'm just going to invite you, if, if that's your prayer, if you've been sitting here confessing, the Lord hears our confession and he forgives us of our sins. But he also says, go and sin no more. And so if you want to buy a, a, an act to say, I want to be faithful to share the gospel, I want to look for those opportunities.
to call people to repentance and faith. And I'm going to trust that the Lord will help empower me to do that. If you want to be faithful, I'm just going to invite you to just stand. It's just an act of saying, Lord, I want to be faithful. I want to be faithful to the call to share the gospel. And so you're making this stand in front of the Lord to just say, today I commit myself afresh to sharing the gospel, to proclaiming the good news. Thank you, Lord, that you see us. And we just pray now that you would pour out your grace on us to, again, be faithful. Lord, help us to be faithful. Give us words of hope. Stir our hearts and stir our minds to share whatever it is, the good news of Jesus and how that connects to the person that we're seeing and that we're talking with. And so I'm just going to invite everybody now. Let's stand together and sing.